you've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. All right, I'm excited. I am going to be joined by Bruce Baird uh, today on the podcast. I don't know what happens. The universe sends me such interesting characters. And I met Bruce on Twitter because he was looking into things that I had never considered. And time and time again, I've seen Bruce investigate uh, mysteries that I found fascinating. And finally, after years of watching Bruce develop Twitter threads and lines of inquiry, I'm finally having him on the podcast. And once again, I would like you to open up your mind. Bruce may not give you, spoon-feed you answers or tell you definitive Definitively, uh, what he thinks or what he knows, but he is opening up lines of inquiry that have been left behind by the mainstream narrative or even the alternative narrative of the day. So let me bring Bruce in. Hi, Bruce. Hey, how you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. Tell us, like, I know uh, I know a lot about you, but other people might not know much, and I'm going to link to some of your Twitter threads and your uh, Twitter profile in the show notes at theconservativehippie.com. Tell people, uh, what is your background? What is your expertise? How do you bring this unique insight into these investigations that you take hold of? Well, I began life as an engineer. I was raised in math and science. My father was an engineer and worked for Boeing. You find up there in Seattle. I mean, wherever you're in Washington. But um, the, uh, you know, math and science all the way through uh, high school. And then I, I was doing chemical engineering. Actually, I graduated in three years. I was 20 years old. I graduated a degree in chemical engineering, went to work for ARCO. And I worked down in Houston, a big refinery down in Houston. And then I moved up to Alaska and worked for them up there. And then I was 25 years old, and, you know, and I said, I'm tired of this. I want to do things like travel. And so I just retired. I made a lot of money up in Alaska. And so I, I thought before I had women and and, uh, and children in my life, I thought I could live for the rest of my life on what I had my investments. But uh, I traveled around the world and did all kinds of things. And um, and then at, at some point I got married and had a kid coming. And I said, well, I'm going to do something ser- more serious with my life. So I decided, well, I should go and become a professor. <laughs> oh, professor, well, oh, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, well, I really liked history. <laughs> so I decided to become a professor of history, which I then I went to graduate school. I got a master's and PhD in, in history. I, 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 uh, a tenure-track job at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And, um, and then I had to make another decision. I was going to... Uh, my wife at the time didn't like Alabama, so California, where she's from, are, are not, nothing. And I said, well, I'll, I'll move to California and become a high school history teacher. So that's what I did. I became a high school history teacher. For the last 15 years of my working life, my regular working life, I was a high school history teacher. Okay, okay. And then in 2017, I retired, and uh, and then I decided to go on social media, and that's when I started really... Uh, becoming active with Twitter and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you made a, a conscious choice. When you say get into social media, do you draw any income from your from your account? Oh, no. no, I'm pretty fine income-wise. Uh, it was, you know, in my last year as a teaching high school, I, I would say uh, in terms of 
being red pilled, I I became red pilled in the summer of 2013 uh, by 9/11 Truth. I mean, I you know I I was always a, as a historian, I would question things, question things, but it, there was certain things where it just didn't make any sense. Like I remember I remember exactly where I was on 9/11. I I wasn't teaching that day, and I remember watching television and just couldn't make any sense of it and I didn't want to try to make sense of it and I would bring it up in classroom and I remember in a classroom we'd show loose change because the students want to see it so I'd show it to them and, and it just didn't make any sense to me and then all of a sudden the summer of 2013 it was like I was just I decided to watch one of those 9-11 truth videos and all of a sudden it's like shit what is that and all of a sudden it's like damn all right I'll let the Everything blinders have been lifted off, and I started trying to learn as much as I could about it. And and then, as me, I started bringing that stuff into my classroom. I started introducing my high school students to this stuff. Which is, I was just happy enough to do it just a little bit at a time. I didn't, you know, I knew I couldn't do too far and fast with them or anything. But whenever I do research, and I was always doing research, even when I was a high school history teacher, I'd always try to bring it into the class. So I was doing that, and every year I push a little bit more, a little bit more, trying to see if I could get them to question things which is a really tough task in, um, in high school. Is, is, but, is, uh, is it that amazing? I've been questioning things my entire life, and that does seem to be a problem with our modern society, is um, getting people to think uh, for themselves, getting them to ask the right questions, and because you can find... Uh, you can find so much out about a person by the questions they ask, and then oh, yeah. and then the answers you get lead to other questions. That's why it's so important to question yeah. question the narrative. Now let's get to our first topic real quick. Is it is World Trade Center bombing? It is the the planes flying into two towers and three towers falling. And one of the things at the time, I've been on that truth for a long time, and it was always Building 7. Building 7, Building 7, Building 7 was always the building that people pointed to as um, this entry point of uh, questioning the logic, trying to understand how Building 7 fell the way it did. People were always um, slandered with that old phrase, conspiracy theorists. And then uh, vindication came for a lot of the Building 7 uh, folks, inquiries, in the fact that the University of Alaska Fairbanks uh, put out the report um, that the World Trade Center 7 was indeed demolished, and it went completely against the 9-11 Commission report. Now, one of the things I find interesting about you is you bring in a lot of scientific knowledge, and you tug on threads of um, not just threads of logic, but threads of science with a lot of your inquiries. And I find that um, some of your threads are just fascinating, and I learn, um, I learn things about the world that I didn't know. Well, you did a thread once that, that really made me pop, because you did a thread not on Building 7, as everybody has done threads on um, and we know about. You did a thread on World Trade Center Building 6. And some very fascinating, interesting facts came out. And it's a mystery that not only hasn't been solved, it hasn't been asked. And I know in, in a DM with you on Twitter when we were talking about doing this podcast, I think I asked you, hey, has anybody corroborated or have you seen anybody else investigating World Trade Center 6 um, uh, line of inquiry? 
and I, I would say that uh, when I one of the first things I did when I retired from teaching in in the uh, summer of 2017 was I joined the Architects and Engineers um, 9/11 Truth. I mean, I was an engineer, credentialed engineer, and uh, so it got me into that. So I was one of the 3,000 plus people signed it, and I got involved with them. I got involved with the 9/11 Truth movement down in Berkeley, one of their major, one of those 9/11 Truth movements. And at first, I was exhilarated, you know, to be able to go in there and find people who ask same kind of questions that I did, you know, and as I might even talk to, because I could never talk about it, you know, with my uh, family or my colleagues at, at high school that I was teaching at. Uh, nobody really, except my students, my captive audience and my students, I might talk a little bit about stuff. But at this, at these meetings and meeting these people in the AE911 Truth, I just kept asking more questions. I mean, that was my. I, I approached this as an historian. I did not approach this really as an engineer, although to me, my mindset was the same. I always approached problem solving the same exact way. It's kind of a left-right, you know, creative analytical process that I use. And it works for me, you know, I, I, but I, a lot of times I keep asking questions and questions beyond where obviously people didn't want to go. And that's, anytime I found people don't want to go there, that's where I really wanted to zone in on. Oh, why don't you want to ask? So, you know, I kept on to the point where I couldn't be associated with those people anymore because I was shunned. I was taboo. You know, I was asking questions I shouldn't be asking. And for the most part on Twitter, when I first started, like the first three years I was on there, I pretty much just found things interesting and I was summarizing other people's ideas. I was using other people's ideas and trying to present them to a wider audience. I got a, a large following, and but mostly it was just like doing that. But I started getting more frustrated that, other people weren't doing the kind of things I thought they should be doing. And I get, it's more out of frustration that I started to say, I'm going to just start publishing my own research. I'm going to, which was again, mostly historical, but because I have this, I mean, because I have a scientific engineering type background, I'm not intimidated at all by, you know, literature or experts or anything like that. You know, so I, you, you know, prove it to me, you show me, or I'm going to dig in and I'm going to find other stuff. And you can find a lot of stuff digging into historical you know, information or going online to find obscure journals or, or government reports or whatever, you know, to find information. And I, I, I eat that, I gobble that up. So I started, you know, really challenging and questioning. And when I did it, I would put these into these, into these uh, Twitter threads. And they're very long threads and sometimes they get very deep, but they're very, they are detailed and they're supported and they linked. And I always set it up so that people can, you know, follow it through themselves. I never said this, you know, I'm a guru, you know, no, I don't believe that. I hate gurus. I hate experts. I hate people who claim to do that, but still it gets dense to try to understand, understand the problem. You have to kind of really want to dig into stuff and try to understand things that may be a little bit intimidating. Yeah. And it's, and, uh, it's always been fascinating to me, nine um, 11, because there are so many anomalies, strange coincidences, you know, things that made the attack possible. And I'm, I've gone um, down deep rabbit holes surrounding it. Shoot. My, my good friend, spirit of Admetos um, is actually, you know, analyzing uh, theories on uh, different timelines converging because of some of the strange, anomalous evidence um, that he's found with 9-11. Um, but wh why would you be repelled by the, um, the engineers and the, the truth movements surrounding by 9-11? Were they just stuck on uh, building one and two and, say, pr uh, proving freefall? What, what was, the, what, what was the, the reason that you rejected them? 
Um, well, the, at first, the, the first thing that started being the question was I was introduced to the work of Heinz Palmer, who's a German physicist, and um, I discovered him. Somebody led me to him. I think it was in the winter of, uh, or like the winter of 2018, 19, uh, and he had this, this wonderful website filled with all this interesting information and questions, and it was done in the way. Wow, that's the way I would do a website. I encourage anybody who is interested at all in 9-11 to check out Heinz Palmer's website. And uh, and he's gone on, besides what he had at the time when I first discovered him, He had all, he's gone on to do all kind of talks and books and things like that. But, um, I mean, I've contacted the guy, I've had conversations with him, he's been very helpful, asking questions, but he was he was digging into things in a way that I would have dug into him. Yeah. And I, I worked with him on, some, on his books that they did uh, on Ground Zero. I, I, I actually was working with them and helping them ask questions. And that's what I want, ask questions, ask questions. In fact, I kind of distanced myself eventually from Palmer when he stopped asking questions. He was fed up with it. He wanted to put the book out and be done with it. I said, no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. I haven't finished asking questions. There's still too many questions to ask. I'm never going to do that. And so I'm, I'm left with sort of minority of one. I'm just this one person, you know, still asking questions that have been left unanswered by everybody. Like this is World Trade Center 6. Nobody asked these questions. But to me, it was like, uh, dang, you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And when you dig, you find a lot of stuff that raises questions about all kinds of assumptions people have about what happened on that. Basic assumptions that nobody addressed at the day and nobody addressed afterwards and nobody still addresses. Um, so That's right. why? You know, and, and there's, basic thing. Like, and, where is all that smoke? Nobody asks the question, where is all that smoke coming from over New York City, over Manhattan, over Manhattan on 9-11? They never addressed it then. They... They still don't address it. It was all coming out of Building 6, the building that has these two very strange caverns that go all the way down below the basement level, these two cylindrical cuts out of a building that are very strange, but nobody bothers to try to understand it. The main explanations to try to explain it are, are flawed. I mean, that's one of the things I did in the Twitter was to disprove the, the theory that uh, some of those beams from World Trade Center 1 and, you know, sections that crushed down and hold it. No, no, that's totally impossible. So let's, and then the other one, there was some kind of explosion there that blew out the stuff, you know, because everything is cleared down to the basement. It's like, things didn't clap down into it. They somehow blew out of it, according to one theory, the basement. I said, mm, yeah, no, that's wrong, too. And there was no explosion that happened. But where did that stuff that was in those craters? It went out in that smoke that was happening, churning out all day long, this blackest smoke, this huge pile of blackest smoke that kept piling covering it was all coming out of this building that had these two big holes and nobody has bothered to see the connection between the smoke and the holes okay. nobody okay they still don't. so so let let let's get this and of course i will be linking um to his threads for your own discernment and to check out listener um but essentially i'm looking right at one of the most powerful pieces of evidence so the the official narrative the official story and logic uh would say when building one which is directly next to building six in the footprint when it fell when it collapsed uh steel girders and just the the girth of all of the tons and tons and tons of material fell down on top of World Trade Center 6 and essentially collapsed it all the way down um, to its garage levels, right? That's the narrative. That's what you logically think of. That's the official story. Yes, the official story. All of that material coming down would completely decimate and destroy that building. But very clear point piece of evidence shows 
that at 9.04 on 9.11, as the second plane hit the World Trade Center tower, there is a clear plume of white smoke from what would appear to be an explosion coming from Building 6 before the towers have collapsed, um, before any uh, debris would have gone down and caused any kind of explosion, right? We've seen that we've constantly seen the images of the planes. They go into the towers, boom, this huge explosion happens. Um, the destruction happens when the buildings fall. So there's this very clear white plume of smoke coming from Building 6. Now, tell us, what was contained within Building 6, and what did your research find when you clearly tried to look into the explosion that happened at the same time of the second plane hitting the tower? Well, that's, uh, that was an idea that was first proposed by Christopher Berlin, like, I think, within a year after that happened. And other people picked up on these white plumes. There, there's this one gif that showed this uh, huge plume that was, you know, shooting way up in the sky, like towering over World Trade Center 7. You know, it was a huge... And there are others that were in West Street that was like a, coming out of, the, out of the street level, the pavement. And uh, they tried to suggest that all that was evidence of some kind of explosion that happened, like sometime around the time of the second plane hitting. But... I've proved in, by both like looking geometrically, but also just analyzing all of the evidence I have for this explosion that supposedly happened, that there was, there was no explosion. There was nothing like that. There never was an explosion at World Trade Center 6. I don't know if you got to that part of my thread, but I mean, to me, there's just absolutely no evidence whatsoever of any kind of explosion, which is only, it, it, it sounds more plausible than the girders falling down onto the, because the things are clean, they're clear, they're blown, everything must have gotten blown out somehow. So how else could it do except, you know, some kind of explosion? But I can't find any proof that there ever was. That when you look at every video, everything analysis or whatever, and the evidence for it, the, the, the white plumes are not coming from building ticks, they're coming from outside, other parts, not within the structure of the building, like not from where those craters were. There's never any plume like that coming out of like a whitish plume at that time. So, well, I'm looking. I'm looking right here, and you do. You do note Christopher Boulin um, and his evidence, and it does look like this white plume of smoke is coming. Uh, is coming from right next to very uh, close. Yes, it's very close, but it's just not within the area. Of the did, actual. Did you ever? Did you ever figure out what that plume of smoke was from? Uh, well, in my that was in the, one of those threads from September 21. I did two uh, two long threads. The first one looked at the evidence against or for and against the uh, the beams falling down into the thing and the other with the explosion in that first thread. And uh, I came up with several theories. Uh, it, they look like steam. Uh, it, they, the, the bursts, they look like steam bursts. They look like the kind of thing, one of those Con Ed pipelines, steam pipelines bursts are all under the street levels there throughout Manhattan. And uh, it happens all the time where one of those bursts and you get this huge plume of steam coming out of the street there. And, uh, and that's what it looks like. And, and the only person who's really tried to explain why there would be all this steam that happened. And, and by the way, the steam ends abruptly. It does. It doesn't, doesn't continue to last. It's not like a steam pipeline that keeps going all day long like a steam. It, it's, it starts and it stops pretty quickly in and around the time period that the complaint 
It, and uh, Heinz Palmer, the physicist, uh, he suggests that it was uh, his theory is based on an underground nuclear explosion. He says that this is sort of uh, uh, flashing the water that was in the sewage system or some water that was down below the ground level. And in fact, where the plumes come up seem to be in areas where the um, where the old uh, subway lines cut through the slurry wall, like in and around that area, seems to be like where these plumes are located. Like somewhere there is maybe. Uh, the water was seeping in through the slurry wall and uh, in those areas, and and so they flashed up uh, in that way. Maybe I didn't pursue it any further because I realized, to me, that was not the explanation for why that would happen to Building Six. I was I still don't know why those plumes were there in, in the way, but to me, it was clear that it was not the sure. explanation. Oh, now uh, help help tell the mystery because this is an important part of it. What was in Building Six? Well, <laughs> there's all. It was the, um, the, uh, the 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 customs building. It was a customs house, but there are other there are all kind of other offices in there. But it was, a, it was a, not one of the huge offices. It was like an eight story office building, and uh, the uh, there is um, there's all kind of talk of stories about what was down in the basement level. It, it is the it is in the area. Building six is in the area of the of the full basement, of the full six-story basement that was underlying the world. It's within the within the slurry wall. So it's in there. It's got a complete basement underneath it. And they're said there's supposed to be gold that was in a safe down there, uh, which has been a whole big story of interest. There is also supposed to be this huge limousine that was there for the presidents that was, you know, could be used and was stored in there. There's a lot of government employee parking down below it. Um, but the, the main... Well, it was known as the Customs House, and I can't, you know, I can't remember what the other, uh, I'm sure there are other government agencies that were located in there, but mainly it was, it was uh, the Customs S- House. Some, something about the, the Customs House and Canadian gold. Yeah, Canadian gold down in some kind of uh, vault under there somehow, and that's, uh, it got a lot of attention because there are reports that there are people who went down there and removed all the gold before. You know, so a lot of activity happening down in the basement level. And in fact, there is a, a fascinating, I mean, I really, I didn't pursue it as much as I could, that whole story, but uh, CBS, interestingly, they, uh, like in October of uh, 2001, just a month afterwards, they, uh, Dan Rather went under, the, he did a special on what was under the World Trade Center company, and really, especially under World Trade Center, they started going down in the basement and walking down, so there's wonderful footage that was shown on CBS on six, I think, 16 minutes. I don't know which program it was posted, but I think it was like 16 minutes a weekday um, version of 16 minutes. Posted this whole thing of under World Trade Center, and so you get you can see everything about what this whole thing looked like. But the big crater going down, and and walking, you see melted iron I and mean, melted aluminum uh, rims of cars and all these burnt out cars, and and you see through up to the uh, light up to the you know, through it, the thing called the atrium, where you could look out into its bright in the center where this crater was. It's a fascinating thing, and uh, they didn't show any kind of vault or anything like that, or what else was there, but, you know, the whole underground thing is very fascinating. I don't know enough about that, because, again, you know, it was like, you know, I was I was doing whatever I could do with the information I had, and I don't have enough information about all the kind of stuff that might have 
but it's down just, there other than what I heard reported. It's it's the craters themselves that are so bizarre in the fact that they're That's em- what I want empty. to focus on. Yeah, because and how, you know. in this, this these pictures that you show, it's not like they're pictures taken after a large crane has removed all the debris that created the craters. Those pictures are very new, and they're just these large holes that are in right. uh, Building 6. They're just these very and- large, strange holes. Um, and when you look at some of the photos, too, there's another very strange thing that people don't notice. Because they, they sort of look rectangular in, in shape overall, or very sort of geometrical, uh, more rectangular. But you also, if you look closely, they're like scalloped. They're like little cylindrical holes that are all connected together to make this shape. Like somebody went in, you know, like you're going to cut out a, a piece of metal and you're going to drill. I don't know if you've ever done that. You drill a hole, you drill a hole, because you, you don't have a saw to cut through it. So you just keep drilling holes until you've cut out the whole pattern of what you want to do. That's what it looks like. like. Somebody went ahead and drilled holes all the way around the perimeter of this shape because they're scalloped. It's like little tiny circles. Yes. And it's like, well, that is weird. What is caused that? You know? And and I can't remember, I don't I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think it was one of your threads. If not, I'm sure you've come across it. Is just the is the sheer heat and bizarre nature of the bubbling and the boiling under the street level that went on for weeks after 9-11 that defies any particular science um, that would surround uh, this type of collapse. Like, there would be no reason beyond um, nuclear or some sort of other chemical reaction to cause this bubbling fire that continuously burned and melted steel um, that, that just wouldn't be physically possible. Was that from one of your threads, and have you gone down that uh, question of logic? Yeah, I did a, a thread on where did the energy come from? And, um, you know, and looking at it, and, and there is a, there's a, a little dis, you know, disagreement about this whole energy underground. And I mean, some people, a lot of people, um, you know, who don't believe in, um, who don't, you know, aren't really into conspiracy theory will note that it, it lasted until like the end of December. It was like, you know, some 99 days of, of excessive temperature, boiling steam coming out of the ground there at ground zero. And uh, and other people say, like Judy Wood says, oh, that's an illusion. It wasn't that hot or whatever. I, I you know, I, I I did a thread where I just looked at what people said and then presented the evidence for what they said could have caused all that energy to happen besides the destruction of the Twin Towers. So it's out there. It's a good thread to to look at. Uh, but I was gonna, related to what I was just talking about. It's interesting. October 20, uh, 2001, Dan Rather is there under the basement of World Trade Center 6. There's no talk about being hot down there. There's no talk about, you know, excessive heat or anything. It's like the whatever was intense heat on, that happened melted cars, melted uh, aluminum, you know, alloy rims, and it's obviously a lot of intensive heat that was there at some point. But you look at the the contents that are left there in that building six are not uh, burnt. It's like uh, like what the hell happened here? Nothing is burnt or, except for what they see where they're walking through this. B3, the, the third level of the basement, they, they see a lot of evidence of cars that were burned out on that day and a lot of evidence of a lot of extreme heat on that day. But it's not hot in October, you know, a month after. So what is that about? I, it's a mystery. I don't want to say, yes, it is, yes, it's not. I think it's it's the kind of question that I think people should keep asking. You know, like the architects and engineers should keep talking about that. People should be questioning it. And the people who have a, a case for it being nuclear have a good case for 
if what they're saying about the heat, there's true. The air cats in this universe have no explanation for that, no reasonable explanation. So if it's true, you know, um, if it's not true, prove it's not true. If it's true, prove it and, you know, and then figure out what could possibly have caused all that heat to have lasted and, so long down there. And I think that's so. that's that's where I appreciate um, people like you that don't stop digging because we are told to never forget. Um, unfortunately, that's following their na- narrative, never forget um, what happened to us. They never want to go a-, a step beyond and say, never forget, never stop digging, never forget, and look into all the reasons of logic why this happened. Um, it's such a um, terrifying and horrendous incident that happened to our country um, we need to get to the bottom of it. We need to continuously look into it because clearly there are anomalies that are not explained. And for some reason, um, powers that be, or perhaps it's just human psychology, uh, people want to look away. Um, and it's, and it's, I think it's a testament to people like you that not only don't want to look away, but like a dog with a bone, uh, you, you get to chewing on things. Even if you end up refuting something that you think one month, a month down the road, I've seen you um, turn around and say, nope, I found evidence that that wasn't true. You know, it's always about following the lines of logic and looking for evidence, not necessarily to prove yourself true or your theory, but just to follow where the evidence goes. And we don't have enough um, resources and people doing that in this case. Let me switch gears because I, I want to get to another thing that, again, in the beginning I said, you know, you just jump on these things that I find fascinating. Separate from you, I found uh, the blast, I think it was in 2020. I can't quite remember. Let me see if I can look it up really quick while I'm talking. You, uh, yeah, it was 2020. Um, you dug into something that you found fascinating. And there were a series of explosions that happened in 2020. And one of them was probably probably the largest explosion I've ever seen caught on a video camera. It was the Beirut explosion. And people might remember this. Um, it was a gigantic warehouse of what we were told was stored... Um, uh, help, help me out with the technical term. Ammonium nitrate fertilizer. That's right. Ammonium nitrate fertilizer. So think, uh, so think Timothy McVeigh and, and what blew up uh, the Oklahoma City um, federal building. They had a whole warehouse. And it was so bizarre because we've got the video of this where they were also storing fireworks in this warehouse. And so the official narrative is somehow a fire started. The fireworks started going off, and then eventually one thing led to another, and all this ammonium nitrate just just, just ignited in one fell swoop, and this, extre- this huge explosion happened down at the port um, in Beirut. So you got to digging. This was a fascinating explosion, and once again with our, our 24-hour news cycle, it was fascinating, and then just the cycle of the news continued, and everybody forgot about it. But again, you became like a dog with a bone, and you got to chewing on it. Tell us about your experience looking into that particular explosion. Well, um, I remember being on Twitter. You know, I usually use Twitter as my source of news uh, because I know I get a lot of good feeds because all the people I follow, I tend to follow people who have high quality information for me. And so that's what come and I can, you know, complain as much as I want about Twitter, but my feed 
even I forty I follow like forty thousand people, and so I don't know how they pick out among those which is the best thing to see. But I can usually find most things I'm interested in by just looking at what comes automatically in the seat. And there was this video, boom, of this explosion, and I said, Shh, that is nuclear. I mean, at first I saw the one with a huge, what they call Wilson cloud, that whitest thing, and I knew a lot. At, at this point, I knew a lot about explosions because I had been for the past previous year I've been uh, working on uh, studying related to 9/11. There was a there's a, a guy named Dmitry Kalazov who had written this huge book called 9/11thology that a lot of the 9/11 um, people working on the sort of nuclear angle were referencing. This guy had done some work, and there were other people that uh, uh, another guy um, that uh, anyway there are other people who are working on this. And I had been looking at their work, and they were focused mostly on truck bombs and the, you know uh, people who blame these terrorist attacks on the truck bombs and the fact that uh, all these truck bombs seem to leave craters but there's no way in hell that a truck bomb an above ground bomb like that is going to leave these large craters so I started I saw that they didn't provide any real evidence just a sort of flat statement I started doing research in a lot of these declassified government documents that on explosions and craters and um, and, and verify, yeah, dang right. All this evidence I'm looking at, you know, from all these studies based on nuclear and high explosive tests and, te you know, show that, yep, you're not going to get a crater in any of those situations. So uh, I looked at this and I, and I said, you know, this, the, that whole thing, I'd never seen, like you said, I'd never seen an explosion that big. And it was all caught on all these different cameras and all these different angles. And to me, my gut said nuclear. And so I went on immediately and started tweeting this. And then I was like, it's a 24-7 news cycle. I was like, bam, bam, bam. No, not nuclear, not nuclear. Not. I say, like, whoa, okay, they obviously don't want me to think that it's a nuclear. And I can tell all the experts and the, you know, the, the fact checkers were all saying, nope, not nuclear. And then very quickly it was this ammonium, 20, you know, 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate fertilizer in a warehouse, and that's why it did that. And I, and I knew enough of my chemical engineering days, and I knew enough about the incident that happened in, in, in like Texas City, 1947, that was very close to where I worked when I was an engineer, you know, that, uh, no, it's not, it's like this doesn't blow up like this. And, and you know, like laying on the floor and it blows up like a huge explosion like that? No way. It's just not going to do that. So I knew enough to know that there's something wrong with this story. But I didn't know quite how to tackle it. And obviously the masses, you know, of all the experts were ganged up against any kind of challenge to it. And uh, but it wasn't until they announced how deep that crater was. This crater that it blasted. I mean, if you see the satellite images, it blew up this huge, like 120, 140 meter diameter crater. But they announced it was 43 meters deep, which is like 13 story building deep crater. I said, oh, okay, this is an underground explosion. This is no you know, bags of ammonium nitrate sitting on the floor of a warehouse. It all of a sudden, boom, like that. No way, you know. So that I, that's when I started my first real threat. And that's when I really started getting, I moved away from 9-11, and I started moving into, okay, I'm going to just start attacking all of these explanations because I realized this is all based on uh, a lot of incidents that had happened over the years of truck bombs and also warehouse bombs you know, our warehouse explosions that left these big craters. And I had I couldn't just attack this one. I was going to have to attack all of them. And so I just kept on the research agenda, really through to the present, you know, since uh, this August 2020, uh, you know, massing all the evidence I can to disprove every single one of these explanations. But I keep going back to the uh, 
to the 2020 um, explosion in Beirut because that's the first time that as an historian <laughs> where I'm like in the moment. I mean, I am involved in something that is the thing that's left usually for the reporters or for the analysts, you yeah. know. But no, I still go in as an historian, but I'm, I know enough to be able to really challenge this story in the moment now, present day, like news. And so it got a lot of attention, um, a lot of, uh, you know, my biggest, my biggest Twitter threads ever. And, I, and every year I, I update it, I do add more. And, and so I just keep going back to it because of that experience. That is, I'm still, I'm still the only one and really, that comes to 9-11, with like World Trade Center, I'm the only one who does that. Well, I'm still really the only one who continues to keep turning it away. This is, there's no, you know, there's no Beirut blast truth movement. It's, it's, in, it's in Lebanon. Nobody cares in the United States or the West, anything that happens there. They, they, they're all moving on to who to blame for. They, they immediately moved on to who to blame for it. And they still are who to blame for it. Nobody even in Lebanon, I contact a lot of people in Lebanon, they don't question it. Uh, they might not believe it, but they're, what they're going to do about it, it's really about who to blame for it. And it's always somebody within Lebanon. Is it Hezbollah? Is it a corrupt official? Is it somebody in there to blame for it? You know, and, and so it's got to be the official story. They don't question the official story. Really, they might know it's not true, but they can't act upon that information. They have to act upon the fact that the official story is true. And in the West, they just don't care about it anymore. Like you said, they've forgotten. That was ancient history. It's happened somewhere in the Middle East. Who knows? Everything like that happens in the Middle East. But I, to me, it's just like, it's so obvious. And I just keep massing more and more evidence to refute every so, single thing about the official story. So, it, it's just... So I don't have a scientific background. Re- just really quick, you, the craters. Um, you're you're very fascinated. Uh, you you latch onto these, and, and clearly there's a scientific reason for it. But craters are a big deal for you. And so help me understand. If I've got two thousand tons of ammonium nitrate, and I've got a trigger uh, that all of a sudden ignites it, and it all goes up at once, right? Or is the science? You can't do that. I mean, that was there's a little bit you can't. It's not going to do that. I mean, firstly, you're in an open warehouse, and let's say you even have a heat source, or even they have an explosion inside the warehouse, and you have all these bags of fertilizer that have been there for six years on the ground, and it's not ampho. It's not like what they use, you know, normally, I suppose, like with, you know, the official story of Oklahoma City, which mostly, you know, ampho, which is ammonium nitrate fuel oil mix, with very precise proportions of fuel added to ammonium nitrate is an explosive. It's not a high explosive, but it is an explosive. But ammonium nitrate and fertilizer bag sitting on the ground, scattered on the ground in fact of two for six years, and all of a sudden there are some fireworks that go on, and 30 seconds later, this thing explodes like it's one thing, like it's been time to go, like a huge, the biggest explosion you've ever seen in the city since Hiroshima. It is. It's the, it's the largest explosion in yes. the city since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They said that over and over again. They said it was non-nuclear. Well, no, sorry. It was the largest in the city, but it wasn't because it was non-nuclear. It's because it was nuclear that it was the largest explosion in the city so, so, so let me help, help let me let me spit out my question so does the science say that if you did have that again let me just go back to it whether okay. you refute it or not and these are no ammonium nitrate bags just all of a sudden get triggered and and they go up are you saying that the logic would say and the science would say that this explosion would go up and out it it wouldn't be able to create a crater why why is the crater so fascinating to you that that the that, that 
these bags, we've all seen like a firecracker uh, sitting on the ground, right. uh, maybe in fresh dirt. When the firecracker pops, it, it goes basically the explosion goes a path of least resistance, if you will. It right. doesn't it doesn't focus itself down into into hard earth. Is that the same logic that you're going with? The, the, does the science prove that that it wouldn't create a crater? Is that why you're so focused on craters? You're perfectly right about the path of least resistance. Explosions go the path of least resistance. Basically, you're this, this is huge burst of energy heating the air, and it goes out wherever the easiest way to go. And it goes out circularly, out from where the center of it is. It doesn't go down into the ground. It will, if anything, if, if the explosion, the center of the explosion is above the ground, it compresses the ground. It can compress it. If it's low enough, it's like very, very close to the surface, it will tend to push down and out. But it makes very, very shallow craters. And I've looked at the biggest of you know TNT ANFO explosions where the where the expo- where this is centered on top of the ground. Like they they will build a huge five hundred thousand you know or you know five thousand ton or whatever five hundred thousand tons of of ANFO or TNT on the ground and it's like a hemispherical shape and just blast the hell out of the the earth and um, the uh, you know they. They do this, and they make a crater. They will make a crater, if it's. And, but those things are primed to, you know, bust at one second, right? The, they they run a lot of the explosive charges within the center of all this ANFO or TNT to make it go at once. It has to go bam at once. If it goes a little bit at a time. It doesn't make anything. It doesn't make an explosion. It just pop 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 pop, and that's it. It doesn't make a, any kind of crater. It has to go at once. But even then, it doesn't make a crater that big, uh, like we see in. Um, in Beirut, and uh, and just you know, um, tr- same thing for truck bombs. Truck bombs are even they're higher above the ground because the truck bed is like four foot or whatever above the ground. It makes even lesser crater. All we'll do is compress the ground, compress the ground underneath it. It does not blast a crater. It does not blast a crater. So you don't get these. But the only way you get a, a crater blasted is when you put the explosive under the ground. This 43 has to have explosives center under the grounds and pretty deep under the ground to make that kind of crater. So that, and that was proven to me over and over by the, you know, all of this declassified information that I found in the records and have confirmed over, I've, by this point, I've studied every single explosion that I've found evidence for tests, you know, and every kind of record, anything that's been declassified or studies, and I've compiled them all. I have an Excel spreadsheet where I looked at everything related to the crater they make and have been able to plot it all so I can kind of pinpoint you know, you give me the depth of the crater and you give me how wide the crater is, I can tell you how big the explosive was and how far below or above the ground that was centered. It's that precise that you can get that kind of information. Um, but so, and, and that's what I started posting most recently is that kind of information. But it's beyond most people's ability to really, you know, they don't want to fathom that. But I mean, it's cause this is quite clearly a below ground explosion that blasted that crater. Now, in my latest work, I've shown that, in addition, there was definitely an above-ground explosion, too. It was a separate but pretty simultaneous explosion above ground to create what I call Frankenstein's monster. My latest thread from September of last year was that you can see the evidence of two, one above ground and one below ground, blasting a much smaller one above ground, much bigger one below, like, almost like five kilotons of uh, TNT equivalent of a nuclear, some kind of nuclear device under the ground that blasted this huge crater there. I, I would like, and, and that's one of the important reasons to get to the, to get to the whys. And so you've got a scientific, logical um, series of inquiry. 
that's one of the reasons why more people need to get involved and how you need to find uh, more people because at the at the base then with this theory that you're posing has to be the why has to be the mechanism of the how right there that's where the geopolitical analyst or um, somebody somebody who's there on the ground with the port um, in both situations the port um, need to need to join the inquiry with honesty and logic um, to either refute you and and say that there's no motive, there's no logical reason why, or to assist you um, and give logical reasons why and motives for. Um, I find your I find your work fascinating, uh, Bruce. I also find you quite congenial. Um, I would encourage anybody um, that's listening that 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 likes to dig into these types of things and not forget because with our news cycle, we always forget in that Beirut blast, of course, nine 11, such interesting mysteries that came at very interesting points in time and interesting, uh, results, geopolitical results have come from them. And I don't think that they have been solved. And unfortunately, everybody is shushed away and told not to look, whereas there are logical questions that remain unanswered. Um, So I'm going to have a link to your Twitter. I'm going to have a link to some of your more popular Twitter threads. Uh, But reach out to Bruce. He's he's a very interesting, kind person. Yeah, very interesting, kind person, and he's open to um, whether you're an engineer or an accountant or just have your own questions. Um, He's very interested in um, creating some sort of conversation because you never know what sometimes the most simplest question, uh, maybe it wasn't asked, and that simplest question could be the key to unlock something far more complex, and that's that's how we solve these investigations together, uh, is by joining together and not being afraid of being wrong, not being afraid of asking a dumb question, and not being afraid of being uh, challenged. That's how it's all I done. Agree. Totally. So thank you, thank you, Bruce, for uh, joining me and introducing yourself and sharing yourself on the Conservative Hippie Podcast. All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much for having me. We, we love you, Jay. The dude is all right. It's all about community. Come join us. You can find me on Twitter at JFrat. And all episodes of the Conservative Hippie podcast and show notes are published at theconservativehippie.com. And of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking lifestyle, go to smokinjays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE, H-I-P-P-I-E, for 15% off at checkout. Down to Jake's place.